Welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Beautiful day. Did I say happy Father's Day? What a great day for dads, huh? Honor your dads. We're in, uh, we're actually on the downhill side now of Ecclesiastes. We'll be starting chapter 8 today. Well, we're making some good progress, aren't we? So we will probably be looking at uh, starting a new sermon series uh, around October, sometime in October. Um, if nothing changes before then, I'm going to go to First and Second Thessalonians, Thessalonians which will likely be our next endeavor, uh, the coming of Christ. And uh, yet, we still, we got a plate full left in Ecclesiastes. We got a plate full of meat and potatoes here to digest before then. Uh, If I were to title this again today, because I normally title it early in the week for printing and other things, I would probably just simply title it, Wisdom Obeys. Wisdom Obeys. And the setting of today's passage, it portrays an advisor to the king's court. This should remind us of of Daniel, who served Nebuchadnezzar, or also uh, Nehemiah, who was cupbearer to Artaxerxes. And these godly men were examples. They displayed a loyalty, a, a wisdom, caused their faces to beam. In fact, before Nehemiah learned of the, of the decaying state of Jerusalem, how it was falling apart, uh, we are told that the king had never seen his face sad. His, feet, his face beamed. And a note in the ESV study Bible says this, For the one who possesses such wisdom, it makes his face shine. It is as evident to others as if, they, if it were written all over his face, just as a fool's stupidity is obvious to others. Isn't it so? Isn't it so? But before we begin, uh, a little approach of caution is in order with this passage. It's always needed when interpreting the Old Testament kings. Uh, I once had a friend who had observed a moral failure in his Christian boss, part of a Christian ministry. In fact, I, I had to respond to a similar situation years later concerning a missions director of a missions agency of mine who had disqualified himself from ministry. My friend's response was to, well, he randomly flipped open the Bible for an authoritative word from God. Stuck his finger down at the page uh, that it opened to, and uh, his finger landed on the Old Testament story of David and King Saul, where David had cut off a corner of Saul's robe, the king of Israel, and of course, afterward, he he lamented, David lamented, uh, before patiently waiting on, on God's timing to remove the king, Saul, from his throne. Uh, This is one passage many pastors use today to intimidate church members. 
Never question a, a pastor's dubious behavior, it is said. Touch not the Lord's anointed. Ever heard that watching TV? Oh, touch not the Lord's anointed. So my friend failed to address the error. However, the king of Israel was God's representative on earth. And the people of Israel swore an oath before God to obey their king, including King Solomon. Who is the New Testament counterpart to Israel's king? Who's king today? Who is uh, the covenant representative of the New Covenant and the New Testament? Yeah, it's Jesus. It is Jesus. Jesus is the counterpart to the Old Testament monarchy. So it reminds us how dangerous it is to transfer identities of Israel's royal Davidic monarchy to personalities of today. Christ is the final monarch. Christ is the king. So the President of the United States is not representative of the Davidic monarchy. No president is. Still, there remains an application. There's an application of our passage made obvious, obvious through our scripture reading in Second Peter chapter 2. Um, we are to obey authority when it remains within scriptural boundaries. That includes governments, bosses, parents, and yes, church leadership as well. Uh, a wise heart does so with a face that shines, not just lip service. We will learn today. I'm going to read from Ecclesiastes chapter 8. This is beginning in verse 1, where the wise man serves as counselor to the king. Who is like the wise man and Who knows the interpretation of a matter? A man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. I say, keep the command of the king because of the oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave him. Do not join in an evil matter, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since the word of the king is authoritative, who will say to him, what are you doing? He who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble, for a wise heart knows the proper time and procedure, for there is a proper time and procedure for every, I'm going to say matter, for every purpose, for every matter, through a man's, uh, although a man's trouble is heavy upon him. If no one knows what will happen, who can tell him when it will happen? No man has authority to restrain the wind with the wind, or authority over the day of death. And there is no discharge in time of war, and evil will not deliver those who practice it. All this I have seen and applied my mind to every deed that has been done under the sun, wherein a man has exercised authority over another man to his hurt. Boy, this is really good material. Really good material. And from the outset, I'm going to supply uh, the enduring, uh, the timeless principle, timeless application. A wise person does not quickly rebel against authority God has set over him or her, even if that leader's judgment at first appears marginal. Let me say that again. 
A wise person does not quickly rebel against authority God has set over him or her, even if that leader's judgment at first appears marginal. In this illustration, it is describing the command issued by a king. Folks, the king of Israel was sovereign. He was sovereign. His decree was final. His command may not always appear prudent. It might not initially appear sensible. But does an advisor have to know every detail that influenced the king's decision? Does any advisor always know every, every critical detail that influences a king's decision? Obviously not. The advisor's role was merely to offer his best counsel according to the information that he possessed. In verse 1, who's like the wise man and who knows the interpretation of a matter? A man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. So the truly wise man, he, he displays a confidence. His face shines. It's like, it's like a ray of divine wisdom. You might know someone like this in their life, in your life, and you know that every time they speak, there's, there's just wisdom. Just wisdom on their speech. And the king must be able to trust this wise man. He, need, he needs to be able to put confidence in him to give advice and he also needs, needs to know that he will remain loyal. He needs to know he will remain loyal. But the king himself, the king himself is God's authority. God's authority on earth and his decree is still final. The king is sovereign. It's not the advisor's privilege to issue the decrees. The advisor doesn't get to make the call. And a wise man recognizes that, that he too does not know all details exhaustively. In fact, I'm pretty certain the king's counselors were, were not any wiser than Solomon. You know, royal advisors, they, they, they gave trustworthy advice to the king. They advised him. They were his counselors. But the king still makes the call. Therefore, verse 2 says... Keep the command of the king. Well, why? Why keep the command of the king? Well, it says because of the oath before God. Well, what in the world does that mean? What does that mean? I've read that the Hebrew appears to suggest this is an oath approved by God. Now, for that reason, the King James refers to it as an oath of God. But it is more fully described as an oath approved by God that the people of Israel have taken to obey the Davidic throne. It is an oath of God, but it's an oath taken by the people to obey the Davidic throne. First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 23 tells us that Solomon sat on the throne, whose throne? On the throne of the Lord. The throne of Yahweh. He sat there as king instead of David his father, and he prospered, and all Israel obeyed him. All the officials, the mighty men, and also all the sons of the king David pledged allegiance to King Solomon. The citizens 
taking a, a, an oath or a pledge or a vow to serve their king. That was really common in ancient Israel. Uh, it's very common in ancient civilization. And, and if you recall, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, Israel complained. They complained to Solomon. They demanded that a king would rule over them like the surrounding nations. And, and, and there the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Well, that's a sad statement. But the Lord Yahweh has to say the people have, people have rejected me. Don't take it personal, Samuel. And it's followed by Samuel's warning of these repercussions before the entire nations, all the, all the things that the earthly king will do. But nevertheless, it says, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we may also be like all the nations. Not a wise move. That our king may judge us and, and go out before us and fight our battles. Now after Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the Lord's hearing. The Lord said to Samuel, listen to their voice and appoint them a king. In both senses, as individuals and as a nation, Israel vowed before God that they would submit to their king. The king served as, as a civil ruler, a civil authority uh, in the land of Israel. Therefore, verse 3 says, do not be in a hurry to leave him. Do not join in an evil matter to rebel against him. For what? For the king will do whatever he pleases. That phrase, he will do whatever he pleases, that has a negative connotation in our culture, right? But it does not necessarily describe evil that the king is going to do here. Uh, today when someone rebels, uh, we'll say, well, he won't listen to anything. He, he does whatever he pleases, right? But in our text, it means Israel's king is ordained by God. He is sovereign ruler over the nation. And therefore, he has the authority to issue whichever decree he pleases. Whatever he pleases, whatever he chooses to decree. You might be wise. You, you can advise the king, but who gets to make the final call? The advisor? Who's not king? No. The king makes the call, and if you don't like it, Israel's told, or, or if you thought the king's decision was reckless, what is, the, what is the response? Tough. Tough. The king is sovereign over Israel. God didn't put you in charge. God didn't put you in charge. Don't rebel against God's authority over you. And uh, there is a new, uh, new Testament parallel. The Apostle Paul has it in Romans chapter 13. What does it say there? It says every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. 
For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Uh, Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation uh, upon themselves. Well, that makes us bristle a bit, don't it? Same principle. Enduring principle. Uh, My pastor once made a common uh, a comment that wisdom endures wisdom endures even when it isn't in control and it doesn't fully understand wisdom endures even when it isn't in control and it can't understand wisdom trusts in god because wisdom knows that god is sovereign god can handle it don't quickly rebel. Uh, So this timeless principle in Romans 13, it's the same as I stated earlier. A wise person does not quickly rebel against authority God has set over him or her, even if that leader's judgment at first appears marginal. And if you rebel against the king, you haven't opposed only the king. Who have you opposed? You've opposed the king of kings. God takes this very uh, serious. Therefore, in verse 4, it says, Since the word of the king is authoritative, another, notice that another reference there to the sovereignty of the king. Since the king is authoritative, uh, who will say to him, Hey, what are you doing? You didn't want to do that in the presence of the king. And this is a, the writer's nice way of saying, you know, Who do you think you are? I didn't make you king. God hasn't placed you in charge. And from a truly wise person, God expects allegiance to the authority that is placed over him or her, that God has placed over him or her, not rebellious insurrection, not disobedience, not uprising. That's not what God wants. Our scripture reading today, uh, taken from... 1 Peter chapter 2 is written in a broad context of submission. It says, once and again, submit, submit, submit. Peter wrote to submit to every human institution, to kings and, and governors sent by him. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And Peter's letter is not written just to Israel. Peter's letter is written regarding any king. He's writing to to the saints who are scattered even in Asia. So whatever that authority is said over them, Peter is saying, honor the king. Secondly, Peter writes in in the same context. He says, servants, submit, or be in submission to, same Greek word. Servants, submit to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Next, Peter continues again. Wives, submit, again, same Greek word, to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. You know what this means. You already know it's, it's, not, it's not difficult to interpret. 
Honor rulers. Respect your boss. Win your husband. Not by words, but by deeds if necessary. And all of this means do not, like Israel, turn into a people rebellious against authority. Do not be like them. Additionally, Paul, the apostle, employs again the same Greek word in reference to submission in his letter to Ephesians, the Ephesians, beginning in chapter 5. He says, Christians, submit to one another. Wives, submit to your husbands. Church, submit to Christ. Children, slightly different word here, children, obey your parents. Slaves, obey your masters. And not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. It's Ephesians 6, verse 6. It's not just eye pleasers. We do it because God. we know God is in control of all things. In the vernacular language, in the original, you know what it means? Yeah, put on your happy face. Shine a little bit. Folks, things are not that bad. We have more opportunity and more prosperity than nearly anywhere on the globe. Things aren't that rotten. God has placed authority over us to keep order. Uh, We might express a reasonable objection to an authority over us, but we're not omniscient either. We don't know everything that's going on behind the scenes. We don't know why certain things are done from time to time. We don't have all the details. God says we don't need to know all the circumstances. Kids, you don't always need to know exactly why Dad says you can't go over to Johnny's place in order to play today. You don't need to know why. Maybe Dad and Mom found out that Johnny's dad's an axe murderer. They might be protecting you. We don't know. Obey the Lord. Obey mom and dad. Employees, you don't always need to know why the boss ordered you to pull that extra shift. Perhaps he's trying to hold the company together from going under so that he can preserve your paycheck. Obey the Lord. Wives, are you more intelligent than your husbands no comment please (laughs) show them respect in the Lord and men you are uh, commanded to obey your head as well for Christ is the head of every man 1 Corinthians 11.3 so love your wives as your own body But in whom does God vest authority to make the call? So an authority as a husband, as a man, you better realize that you've got authority over your head as well. We better be wise. It says to treat your wife as you would your own body. It's just not a blank check to just command and make orders. There's got to be some some kindness and some gentleness and and some love as well. And uh, in, in general... You'll do that with wisdom to the best of your ability with the knowledge you have. Generally, the wife will respect you and follow you. 
There's one more relationship that Peter includes that I have to toss in for fun. My fun, not yours. It's also in 1 Peter chapter 5, and it's in the context of, of church leadership. This would be shepherds and elders, those who shepherd the flock of God. And Peter writes there, younger men submit, same Greek word, submit to your elders. And Hebrews 13 verse 17 also says, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as, as those who will give an account. See, with authority comes accountability, no matter what level that authority is. Then it says, let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So our faces should shine. It should shine. Why all the commands to obey, to submit these different facets, these different levels of authority? It's because God is not a God of disorder. He's not. He's a God of order. He doesn't enjoy uh, anarchy and people just doing whatever they want all the time. Because when people do whatever they want all the time, they interfere with what other people want to do. You can't have everybody doing whatever they want because they're going to conflict. There's going to be problems. There has to be some order and authority. God has established spheres of authority in the home and in society and in, in church and, and in the workplace because he doesn't want us to live in a constant state of confusion and chaos where everybody just doing whatever they want to do. If you want to see that, just watch the news. Plenty of that going on out there. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists God. Um, so far, each statement in context... It, uh, it suggests gladly obeying authority that remains within biblical parameters, within biblical border, boundaries and guidelines. Um, how do I know? It's because Ecclesiastes 8, uh, verse 5, it assures us, he who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble. Hear that? No trouble. Obedience doesn't bring trouble. That surely does not describe a king's uh, demand to act corruptly. That would bring trouble. Romans 13 is not urging soldiers to obey a military command that is for uh, to achieve a war crime. It's not what it's talking about there. Peter is not suggesting a wife or children obey a husband by disobeying Christ. God is surely not giving license to a pastor to deny uh, essential biblical doctrine. No, in, in all such cases, a Christian must refuse to comply. Refuse to comply. But our passage, our passage describes decisions that are made that are tolerable that don't go against God's word. They're at least tolerable, and God says obey. Boy, it is nice to land on passages like this when you've had a long season of peace in the church. And we have. It's been, it's been a good few years. We haven't seen a whole lot of uh, kerfuffles. Kerfuffles. That's the word of the month. Kerfuffle. I think it's Scottish. Haven't seen a lot of problems for quite some time. In fact, it just so happened uh, a uh, 
as I was creating this, I caught a blog. It came to my inbox and I followed it. And it talked about when things are good and the church is teaching the word of God and, and uh, people are just in harmony like we sense. It said, uh, watch out. Beware. Oh boy, good timing. But I don't get to a passage like this but every couple of years or so, so I'm going to get a little mileage out of it here. Is that all right? Most pastors, most pastors I know, and I know the pastors and elders here, we want to shepherd with decisions that are in the best interests of the flock. Truly do, truly do. It's one of the reasons that we invite uh, every new member to come and meet the board of elders uh, one-on-one, get to know them face-to-face, to know who we are. Uh, that way uh, they, can, they can approach us if needed. Uh, they won't have to be in a rush to join in an evil matter. We've likely all chuckled from time to time upon hearing trivial complaints, trivial, trivial complaints that evil people use to start up uprisings and cause divisions in the church. We've all hear, heard examples of these. Division over the color of carpet, Bible versions being used, music selection, schedule of services, all kinds of things. I was told a story of a gentleman who, uh, who never attended Sunday evening services. He became upset that his church finally canceled Sunday evening, and therefore he left for another church that also did not have Sunday evening services. I'm aware of a, a man who was displeased with his church because they didn't use the King James Bible. He departed angrily for another church that also did not use the King James Bible. It's just nonsense, isn't it? Just nonsense. Disruptions and, and other things. Now, we may laugh, but I bet it wasn't very funny at those churches when that happened, huh? Yeah. They thought they were blessed with new carpet. Half the people take off and start another church. Folks, many times there's no significant underlying reason to leave or join an evil matter. Sometimes there's just no substance there. Uh, what do you think God thinks about that? Over the color of the carpet. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, it speaks to a church that knew a little something about division, the church of Corinth. And Paul writes, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what we are. We are, we're precious and holy and set apart to God. Um, Boy, the topic is easier to discuss when a church has had a good season and stable. I wouldn't want to have to come to this passage after a kerfuffle. Kerfuffle would be tough. Um, you may be from out of town. You might come from a different church. You might be going back to a church with a situation uh, going on. Uh, do not be quick to leave or join in an evil, uh, in an evil matter. Folks, um, and I'll say this, and I'll just move on. If you cause people to leave a church, any church, any church, it had better be over the leadership denying essential doctrine like the deity of Christ. 
or better be because someone's been embezzling money, something serious, or, or better be uh, a moral failure of some kind that is very severe and not some non-essential ministry preference that you favor. That is, that is not a place uh, in the church for that. I found nowhere in Scripture the color of carpet. Don't do stuff for things that aren't scriptural. In the second half of verse 5, it says a wise heart knows the proper time and procedure. That statement has to do with proper decorum. Court decorum. In a king's royal court, or any judicial court that we see today, uh, there is authority, there is order, there are methods of procedure that are to be followed. Uh, there's order in the court. Says, says Judge Wapner. And um, a wise person knows how to submit to authority even when it seems unreasonable, even when the decision is outside his or her control, because it's never outside God's control. God never loses control. And verse 6 again, for there is a proper time and procedure for every matter. Though a man's trouble... Or misery, your translation might say, though a man's trouble is heavy upon him, even when a command seems unreasonable, even when it causes you to distress and weigh heavy on your heart, as long as we don't have to disobey Scripture, obey the authority that God has set in place and realize that that authority will be answerable to God. Um, Think of the military. Think of the military. Many of you have served here and are familiar with this. When a command is given to launch an assault, is it possible for a soldier to wonder, you know, is the timing good? Is the target right? Is the use of force justified? Is the intelligence reliable? But is it the soldier's role to question or is it to follow orders? He or she follows orders. Verse 7 says, if no one knows what will happen, who can tell him when it will happen? It's a tough verse. I believe it involves following the command even when you suffer a lack of understanding. And you aren't even certain if the scenario is good. Uh, In such a case, you still obey the king. You still follow the king. Verse 8 No man has authority to restrain the wind with the wind or authority over the day of death. And there is no discharge in time of war. And evil will not deliver those who practice it. An evil rebellion against authority is not going to deliver you from distress. It won't do it. When things get tough and decisions are outside of your control, and you're battling in the trenches, you're in warfare, and and don't even know if your cause is just. You still remain loyal. You still follow orders. You don't get to disobey in times of war just because you don't like a command that is given. That's called dereliction of duty, folks. Title 10, Section 892, Article 92. Some of you remember that. It applies to all branches of the United States military. 
Dereliction of duty is a deliberate and accidental fa- or accidental failure to do what you should as part of your job. And during periods of war, it's punishable by death. Death. Even when the command weighs heavy upon you. I was, I was thinking this week about this and men who, who have, and women who have served in battle. And sometimes they're just wondering, should I have done something different? Could I have known? Were you following the command? To the best of your ability, did you follow the command? God is pleased. You don't just rebel just because you don't like the command. No military would be able to function like that. And like the wind, the chain of authority, it might be entirely outside of your control. And circumstances might even result in the day of your death. But there is no discharge in times of battle. Scripture would suggest that God is pleased with you even if you die in battle because to the best of your ability and to the best of your knowledge, you obeyed the authority that was over you. Thankful for our military. Very thankful for our military. You did what was right in God's eyes because you were following the chain of command. Just be faithful. Just be faithful. Verse 9, all this I have seen and applied my mind to every deed that has been done under the sun, wherein a man has exercised authority over another man to his hurt, even if the king has made a foolish decision, even if it causes one of his men to get injured or killed, he or she who served, served well. They served well. When you're in the king's service, you can't question every order, every time. Philip Ryken says this about this passage, quote, A good soldier cannot stay out of harm's way. The law of Moses made a provision for cowardly men to get an exemption from military service. But when it was time to fight, soldiers on active duty were forbidden to flee. This is the universal custom of every respectable army. A soldier cannot buck the system, dodge his service, or go absent without leave. Not even wickedness on the battlefield can relieve him from his responsibility to stand and fight. That's a good quote, isn't it? Stick it out. Stick it out. Faithfully serving the Lord is all about respecting the chain of command. Serve faithfully. Got a great closing illustration. I wish I would have had more time to flush this out. I like this one. It comes from the Gospel of Matthew in, in chapter 8, verse 8. A centurion with a dying servant whom he loved. He said this to Jesus. Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word. And my servant will be healed. What's his justification? He says, For I am also a man under authority. When soldiers under me, uh, with soldiers under me, and I say to this one, Go, and he goes. And to another, Come, and he comes. And to my slave, Do this, and he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled. And said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, 
I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Wow. Jesus says, I finally met a soldier who understands that the king of Israel is sovereign. That be Jesus. And a soldier who accepts the authority of his king's command under all situations. That centurion knew that the order of the king was final. And he said to Jesus, you say the word and it is done. Jesus himself uh, knew what it was like to be a man under authority and obey his father who is in heaven. Folks, the royal command has been decreed. It has been decreed from the royal Davidic king named Jesus. And it says, believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. That is the command. Peter says, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is the promise from the king. Stop rebelling against the king's command. Receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Don't be found derelict of duty when the king comes. The penalty is death. Let's pray. Father, the wisdom that that you offer in your word is, is unparalleled. And as we look at how you have taught us to function. In all ways, uh, you, you seek peace. You've sent uh, your Spirit to make peace. That those who would know uh, your Son as Savior would have reconciliation uh, to you. That their sins would be forgiven. Father, that your Son would be glorified. And uh, as we think today about relationships and, and ways to honor you, let us not forget that what we heard today are ways to honor you even when we don't understand uh, or always understand the whys. Even when uh, we think things are wrong uh, or might uh, potentially be an error, Lord, help us to obey where we can without violating your holy word. In Christ's name we pray, amen.